is up Bruin Bible listeners we have another advertisement for you we are so lucky to be sponsored by the great people at Athletic Greens Uh, I started taking Athletic Greens specifically because I was lacking energy lacking focus throughout the day and needed some special pick-me-up ingredients to make things happen in my life Athletic Greens has done just that I've become absolutely addicted to the process it has over 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to make your life easier uh, by doing this during the day. I like to take it to start my mornings off. I like to do it before a workout. It makes you feel energized, focused, and just have a lot more energy throughout the day than I typically expected. But right now, is the, it's the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition It's just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. Uh, That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Uh, To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LAFB. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LAFB to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance Athletic Greens, a game changer when it comes to your health and your focus and your mindset. Now to the Bruin Bible. What's up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. Wanted to bring you the sponsors for today's episode, Bet Online, where the gambling starts. I've got a bunch of good bets going on right now. I've got the Lakers making the playoffs. We've got futures bets coming around for MLB baseball. March Madness is around the corner. NBA playoffs on the horizon, too. Make sure to check out all of the gambling and all of your gambling needs at Bet Online where the gambling starts. Make sure to use promo code LAFB to get a little discount. Uh, everything is great on Bet Online. I use it weekly for all my gambling needs. Make sure to check it out. LAFB gambling, and now to the Bruin Bible. What is up, Bruin Bible listeners? Welcome to a rainy Tuesday podcast of the Bruin Bible. Will Decker, your host, joined by your co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, my brother from another mother, Mr. Jamal Madney in the house. Madman, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday rainy afternoon? Doing well, brother. Always excited to be home at the Bruin Bible with you. And, you know, we're, it's, a, it's a rainy Tuesday is right. This is not what we sign up for when we're in L.A. People forget how to drive. People forget how to do basic human functions in the rain. It, it's really just, it's sort of a cumulative sick day for the city when we get any type of rain in Los Angeles. So what better than to cozy up at home and talk our beloved Bruins uh, here today? Talk our beloved Bruins we are. And this is a fun exercise. And I think one that we have to start get going. This is going to be quarterback week on the Bruin Bible. Today on this podcast, we're going to be ranking the top five quarterbacks within the Pac-12, the loaded, the vaunted Pac-12 in its final year of existence with UCLA amongst it. We're going to start counting down different positions, 
who's the best at this one, where do the Bruins rank among those position groups. And then tomorrow, UCLA, UCLA legendary quarterback, Mr. Wayne Cook, going to be returning to the podcast. We're going to be breaking down UCLA's quarterback room as a whole. So it's going to be really fun with that quarterback competition coming up. But, Madman, let's jump right into it. Uh, only five spots, and there's so much talent in the quarterback you know, rooms when it comes to just the Pac-12 as a whole. A lot of transfers coming in, a lot of established players coming back. You know, there's a guy that's led his team to two Rose Bowls consecutively, and he might not even be in my top three when it comes to the quarterback room. So it is a fun, fun exercise. Madman, give me your thoughts when I, you know, presented the idea of ranking the top five quarterbacks within the conference team. Well, Will, it was two things. I mean, one, it was sort of brilliant and exhilarating. And then the second thing was daunting because of exactly what you described. I think outside of Cal and Stanford, I think every other team feels like they have a blue chipper at the position and that they can do anything that they want with that position in terms of any type of style of play, whether it's sort of up-tempo with the pass, mixing it up with the run. If they're behind by 17, if they're up by 17, I think there's a ton of confidence up and down this conference. And, Will, you said it best. I think it's the deepest the Pac-12 has been ever. And how fitting that the last year of the Pac-12 in its current form could be the deepest year it is at the quarterback position. And quite frankly, I can't think of another year, another conference, where you could legitimately go into that conference and say, we're rolling 10 deep at quarterback. I mean, it's absolutely staggering uh, the, the level of play here. You're talking about Heisman candidates galore. You're talking about NFL prospects galore. I mean, if you're an NFL GM, you don't need to go east of Arizona in terms of your travel plans for 2023 because you just need to park it in the Pac-12 because that's all the study that you really need. No, it's it's a special, special year to be a fan of the Pac-12 football conference. And like always, we've done our research. We've done our homework. We want to break down, before we get to the top five, there are a lot of worthy honorable mention names to come out of this. And Madman, I'm going to let you start with some of the names that were good enough to make the list, uh, but just missed out at the end because there's so much talent within the Pac-12. Well, there's a few guys, right? I mean, I think that when you look at Colorado and you look at uh, Shador Sanders and what he can kind of bring to the table from a dual threat perspective, when you look at, obviously, he's the ultimate wild card and he hasn't played yet. So we don't know. It, it, and it's our guy, Dante Moore. And I, I see him as, you know, if he if he swings for the fences this year, He'll be firmly in that top five. I could even see him in a top three situation. And I expect Dante Moore to be the number one quarterback in, you know, if the Pac-12 still stayed in 24, Dante Moore would have been the number one quarterback for my money going into 2024. So you've got the likes of, of Dante Moore. You've got the likes of Sanders. You've got the likes of the Notre Dame transfer to Arizona State. Fine. You know, yeah. Pine. You know, he was a very serviceable quarterback with a lot of upside there. Gave SC a lot of trouble in that game. So you just look around and you see who potentially is here. And, and Will, I'm going to throw you the crazy one, okay? You, you sort of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Cam Rising's not in my top five. 
Wow. And so, wow. Uh, you okay. know, and, and, you know, he, he decorated player, great player, no question about it. But when you look at skill set and you look at upside and you look at on the field impact in terms of the game and the team, I don't have Cam Rising in my top five for as much of a resume as he had. So it just tells you where we're going in, in terms of this conference in 23. Man, this is going to be a fun, fun exercise. Top five quarterbacks. And as always, I defer to my guy. So, Madman, you give me your number five because I'm interested now. Cam Rising is not in this top five, which has me, you know, waiting on the edge of my chair to figure out who's in the five. Give me your number five quarterback because I think this is going to be a list that fans are going to be debating and waiting upon, you know, coming out of this podcast. Well, for me, number five is a guy that I expect to break out in a very significant way, a guy that can impact the game, throwing the ball with a big arm, and a guy who is very elusive and mobile running the ball as well. I think the one piece uh, that is left for this young man is just sort of consistency and avoiding one or two mistakes per game. But when you look at the collection, both statistically as well as performance on the field, there are not five quarterbacks better than this guy in the conference, and that's Jaden Delora. When you look at 3,700 yards passing just about last year, 25 touchdowns, and oh, by the way, that signature win where he broke our hearts in the Rose Bowl. And you got to remember, Will, he's a transfer from Washington State. He inherits a team that goes 1-11 the year before, and, and now here they are, 5-7, and seven, and really were threatening to make a bowl game very easily, lost a number of close games. But given the level of talent that was around him to start, obviously he did have Dorian Singer, but to go for 3,700 yards, to go for another you know, 400 yards plus rushing, to go for the 25 touchdowns, two-to-one touchdown interception ratio, be that threat and really carry this team to some pretty significant moments and a massive jump led by Jed Fish and that duo going into 2023 – I think the sky is the limit for Jaden Delora in terms of explosiveness, in terms of impact, and I have him firmly as my number five. I have the same number five, and, you know, I just think with him you have to place what he was able to do, as you alluded to. I have Arizona being this year's Oregon State, and we talked last year about Oregon State being the sleeper team in the Pac-12. They ultimately went to a Vegas Bowl and beat an SEC team in Florida, you know, to win that, get close to double-digit wins. They had a phenomenal season. I see something similar for Arizona as the offense is moving in the right direction. You alluded to the stats. This guy's an absolute gunslinger out there. He's going to make his mistakes. Do I like the 13 interceptions he had last year? No, I don't. But some of that could be attributed to the poor offensive line play, him running for his life at times, making plays out there. And the thing that I think separates him and puts him at my five is I look at the weapons. Who is surrounding you know, Jaden Delora. And he's got two very, very solid receivers coming back. Even with the departure of Dorian Singer leaving to USC, when you have a Jacob Cowing, thousand yard receiver, seven touchdowns last year. And, you know, arguably the best freshman receiver the Pac 12 had last year in Tedaroa McMillan. This guy averaged 18 yards a catch, 700 plus yards, eight touchdowns. You're banking on him being better in year two than year one. So when you have the mind of a Jetfish, a gunslinger in Delora, you mentioned the stats. I think he's thrown for over 45 touchdowns in two years as the starting quarterback at Arizona and Washington State. And Cowling and McMillan coming back, that's a recipe for success. And I've got Arizona maybe going seven, eight wins this year. 
and really get into a nice bowl game and, you know, maybe get that ninth win if everything goes their way. So great number five. Number four, who is your number four, man? Because I'm eager. I, You know, we alluded to it. Somebody's out. Somebody had to be left out. Number four, who is your guy, Madman? Thriller, you know, this is where it gets interesting, obviously. To me, I, I'm very confident in this number four pick. And again, you have to think about player and you have to think about situation. And when you sort of put those two things together, this young man, to me, is destined for not just a breakout season on the field. I think he's destined for a breakout season in terms of perception. And I think this team is a very, very legitimate contender for the Pac-12 title. And that's DJU, DJ Uliangale. And when you look at five-star quarterback, guy who beat Bryce Young to win the state championship, goes to Clemson, it has not, he hasn't been Bryce Young. He hasn't been CJ Stroud. He hasn't been Caleb Williams yet. And I think a lot of that has to do with the situation that he was in at Clemson, a little bit of an archaic offensive philosophy that they ran, very much predicated on a pocket passer who will occasionally run. I don't think they necessarily adjusted to his skill set. And I also think that he needed a couple of years to mature, both mentally as well as physically. I think he goes now into a situation. Everyone forgets this, Will. 21-6 and six as a starter. Last year, 3-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio, 22 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, almost 3,000 yards. And we treat the guy like this total failure because of just how decorated he was as a five-star. We all forget as a freshman, his first career start, he almost goes into Notre Dame, who was a CFP team that year in South Bend, takes that game into extra time, multiple overtimes, and almost pulls it out. This young man, if you're giving him the right situation, is going to absolutely break out. And when you talk, Will, about Arizona being this year's Oregon State, I completely agree with it. I love the analogy. And I think this year's Oregon State is going to be last year's Utah. And when you look at the, the situation that they have, all five offensive linemen coming back, decorated two backs coming back, the situation that he's in with Jonathan Smith in terms of how that coach develops offensive talent. You look at DJU in terms of his ability to run the football, the frame, traditional play action, and being able to kind of roll out of the pocket and do some amazing things. And when you couple it with the time that he's going to have and the system that they run in terms of that zone read, DJU is going to carve up the Pac-12 and Oregon State is going to go into late November, early December with an opportunity to play in the Pac-12 championship game. And so for me, DJU, if he comes even close to the five-star capability that he has, the tools in the toolbox that he has, and given his personality, he's, he's, he's more of a lower key, more reserved guy. Going to a place like Corvallis culturally, I think is the perfect fit. He's outside of kind of the, the, this very intense kind of college town atmosphere of Clemson. He's not dealing with the lights of LA. He's not dealing with Eugene. He's not dealing with Seattle. He can just focus on ball and do his thing. I think Oregon State's a double-digit win team this year, and I think DJU is going to absolutely break out and be a monster in this conference. I have him as my number four. I love the pick, and DJU is given heavy consideration to me. I think – 
you're spot on in a lot of areas. I think the Clemson fan base reacted like this guy was just, you know, the, you know, just the, the devil essentially, like he could not get in. He could not make plays. Anything he did was not good enough for the fan base. And yes, he did have his ups and downs there surrounded by Dabo Sweeney, some great coaching, some great players around there. I think the move was welcomed. It was a move that I think, you know, the Ugalele family was having a tough time there. And, you know, Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, when they were having a tough time there, it just never seemed to mesh. And him going to Oregon State, I do think it's a great fit. And I do think he'll be on the outside looking in on this top five. And I, I know you alluded to the offensive line and the two running backs. Where I'm concerned is the weapons surrounding him. Trayshawn Harrison, no longer there. Musgraves, no longer there. Tyjon Lindsey, no longer there. I, you know, if this was your Oregons or USC's or those schools that, you know, plug in these four-star wide receivers and they're ready to go and ready to make open plays, I think I'm there. I need to see some of the skill position players and how they're going to react to our guy DJU going there. But, I mean, the potential is there. And Jonathan Smith, one of the most underrated coaches in the entire country, I think if he builds upon his success from last year and he can get them back in a double wins conversation – I think the SEC is going to be calling this guy's name. I really do. I think Jonathan Smith, incredibly underrated. So I got I got DJU just on my outside looking in. But I think it's a very respectable pick, my man. And I think one that I had a lot of thought. I think he was my number six going onto the board. My number four, I got to put him on. I know you weren't a fan of putting him on the board. But Cam Rising for me, just a back-to-back Pac-12 champion. And you watch his tape, and it doesn't blow you away. Some of these throws, you know, man, there's – you know, 70 to 80 college quarterbacks can make some of these throws that, you know, rising is making, but it's just, it's the intangible things. It's the things you can't see. And I remember when we went to PAC 12 media day last year and we asked, you know, uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham, the head coach of Utah, you know, what is, what made rising the guy for you last year? Because you're kind of debating back and forth. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, this is the best leader of men I have ever been in a room with. And that stuck with me as a fan of college football. And, you know, just the impact he had a couple of years ago when it wasn't him, it was Charlie Brewer, and Brewer gets hurt and he comes in. That is a completely different football team. And I can credit that directly to what Rising did. You know, 46 touchdowns, only 13, you know, picks over the last two years. Very good with his decision-making. You know, can use his legs to make plays. You know, the 62-yard run at the Rose Bowl is something Utah fans are going to remember for a long time back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances. And there's something about him too when even when Utah is down, you can never count them out of a ball game. And USC fans know that better than anybody. You know, they were up big in not only the Pac-12 title game, but, you know, in their, you know, road game against Utah this year. So I think with rising, he's not going to blow you away. And to compare him to somebody that was a former Utah Ute, he's the Alex Smith of this group, man. He's the Alex Smith. He's not going to blow you away physically. He's not going to make the big throws that, you know, you're going to see with some of the guys that we're going to be able to list off here in just a couple of seconds. But what he does do is provide stability, leadership, and the little things that allow them to win. Am I scared without Keithy and Kincaid coming back next year? Yes, I am. But Devon Belly, I think, is going to be my breakout wide receiver within the Pac-12. And I just can't bet against Cam Rising because I've seen it for two years. I think he's awesome. What is your take on Cam Rising on that? No thriller. I, I mean, I completely agree with you. The guy's a winner. The guy is a leader of men. He, you know, he does things the right way and he's a great competitor and you can't take anything away from him in that regard. You know, for me, the reason why I didn't have him in the top five is I'm looking at ceiling. 
and I'm looking at 2023 ceiling. And I wonder if we've reached the peak ceiling that Cam Rising has can achieve back in 22 and 21, especially without the weapons that you're mentioning here, in particular the tight end spot. And then I kind of go to the big games, and, and I was very pressed to find, even in that ceiling state of the last two years, what really was the signature Cam Rising performance? You know, we, we go back last year at Florida, opportunity to win that first game, throws the pick. We go back, you know, obviously got to the two Rose Bowls, very unfortunate with the injuries and whatnot, but really couldn't finish those games. So it was sort of an incomplete grade there. I think the, the, the two wins against SC, obviously very notable, hard to sort of put that on him in the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, Caleb Williams was clearly compromised in that game. It's sort of hard to, to say, hey, he went mano a mano with the Heisman winner and came out on top. And I think even in the game in, in October thriller, I don't think anyone walked out of there on this network, on other networks, and said, man, Cam Rising really killed us. All the conversation was about Kincaid and the lack of the Alex Grinch defense of just matching up with Kincaid. So when you, when you go back and you look, obviously the Bruins did a number on him in the Rose Bowl last year, um, and, and DTR played significantly. So incredible competitor, incredible leader of men. But for me... You know, the ceiling may have peaked here uh, the last two years. I, I don't know if he can kind of replicate that performance again, given the weapons that he's losing, because even though Devon Vela is, is sensational, even though they've got really athletic pieces at running back, Utah is built off in that tight end room and they, they play a certain way. And so, you know, how is he going to sort of adjust without having kind of bread and butter receivers, I think is going to be a question, especially when that ceiling wasn't quite that high to begin with. But take nothing away from Cam Rising. Utah is going to be right in the mix again for a potential three-peat here, and, and he's going to give it everything that he has, and I have nothing but respect for him. Absolutely, man. And I do want to pause in the podcast here because it is, you know, the Bruin Bible podcast. We don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. We think it's going to be more. And even with more, I think we got to expect a little bit of, you know, a development, you know, coming out of those first couple of weeks, those first couple of games, even for Garbers, who's never been a full-time starter, even for Schlee, who I'm actually a lot higher on after watching some film on him. So I think if we can find an established starter and we can make the run, you know, with the weapons that we have, you know, with the Sturdivant, with the run game that we think might be the best we've had with UCLA in terms of diversity and what they can all bring to the table in terms of that running back room with a tight end room, arguably being the deepest within the conference. If you look at what they provide with Habermill, Matavo, Carson, Ryan, those type of guys and Kyle Ford transferring it. So like, I think the ceiling of a UCLA quarterback for this year is outside of this top three, but if they do achieve, you know, the highest of highs for them, I think they could be the fourth best quarterback in the conference, which should be enough to, you know, win the conference, in my opinion, if everything does go well. So what do you think about that take? Because I want to touch it back to Bruins. There's not a quarterback here that we can put in the top five, but we got to make sure we talk our Bruins here on the Bible. Top four. I think that's that's the ceiling for UCLA football, Mad Men. No question about it, Will. And I think you and I are sort of on the same page where we made a top five. I have a feeling we're going to be four out of five kind of linked in. You know, there may be a <laughs> Your two might be my three. My three may be your two. But outside of the, you know, the, the DJU, Cam Rising, I think we're going to all have the same guys. I think we're thinking about this rather similarly. And as my father says, 
it's either great minds think alike or fools seldom differ. So, but you know, with that regard, Thriller, I completely agree with you. Even when you sort of look at the landscape of quarterbacks in the Pac-12, you can talk top five, but there is a gap between four and three. There's kind of a top three that sort of sits all alone. And you have to sort of take into consideration the on-the-field performance kind of over multiple years and the experience. I think Dante Moore can walk in and physically be just as good as the top three guys, but he needs that experience. He needs that game understanding. You could argue that by if everything hits and he sort of is the player we expect him to be, by November, he could very well be in that top three. But I think it's going to take a while to sort of get there. And I completely agree with you. If things fall right as a true freshman, you know, UCLA is going to have the fourth best quarterback in the conference, which, oh, by the way, if they have the best running back room and they've got the best tight end room and they've got one of the three or four best wide receiver rooms, that combination is good enough to be playing in the Pac-12 championship game. So there's so much to be excited about here. I think, Will, you and I both expect more. The future of this program is Dante Moore, whether that happens on September 2nd or whether that happens on September 28th or whether that happens in the middle of October, it is going to happen. You, you don't you don't recruit that guy to then go play Colin Schlee for two years. You know, so it, it, this is the future of the program. And, and I think top four is a very bang on bullseye analysis there. And I think top four is good enough to play in the Pac-12 title game. And I'm going to make a proclamation. I think this is the most loaded Bruins team probably since that 24 team where they had uh, last year of Hunley, Kendricks, yeah. Barr, these type of guys. Jonathan Franklin was running. I think this is, from top to bottom, the most loaded Bruins team we've had since then. And it's going to show out on Saturday. So a lot to look forward to, even if we don't have a definitive Bruin quarterback in the top five right now. So I look at this top three, Madman. You're an NBA fan like me. It's currently like the top three of the NBA MVP race right now. You can go in any different direction between Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis. Any way you spin it to me, I could be swayed into this guy is the MVP this year. I get your points, what the stats are doing for Jokic, you know, Embiid's night in, night in, night out impact. And Giannis being the best two-way player in the world, you know, and what he provides to the table. Uh, I think these quarterbacks, all three of these have a chance to ultimately take home the Heisman Trophy. I fully believe that. I think it is just a loaded, loaded group. And we're going to be intersecting. It's going to be my three might be your two. Your two might be my three. Give me your number three quarterback because this is where it got interesting for me. And choosing between two and three, I mean, this took me about an hour on my laptop prepping for this, just in the difficulty and all the different stats and things like that. So who is your number three quarterback rolling into next season? Will, my number three was arguably the Heisman Trophy front runner in the end of by at the end of October, you know, early November, and that's Bo Nix. And when you look at everything that he brings to the table, again, nearly 3,800 yards, 20 touchdowns, three to one touchdown interception ratio, double digit rushing touchdowns, you know, 700 yards rushing. I mean, it's just incredible the output he was able to achieve and just how, how much Oregon relied on him, not just throwing the ball, but really being kind of the primary hammer running back for them in all short yardage situations, red zone situations, goal line situations, and just everything that he brought to the table. And I think 
his coming out party was the game in Eugene against UCLA, where there were still some questions about Bo Nix, the Auburn version, versus Bo Nix, the Oregon version, coming off of that huge loss to Georgia. It turns out Georgia was actually a pretty decent football team, and and, and that, that game against Oregon looked like an ESPN 30 for 30 classic compared to the Georgia TCU national championship game. And so, you know, when you sort of look at this body of work and everything he was able to do, Bo Nix is my number three guy. And Will, I think he's in the right situation, the right system. He's a guy that really has that mesh concept down and sort of is a master of reading that defensive end and either keeping it and going around, handing it off. And then everything sort of is played off of that. Where I was really impressed with him was his accuracy on the run. You know, there were so many times where he was rolling to the right, serving the field, either finding his tight end or really going deep with it and being accurate with the, with the football. And so, and nothing really ever phased him uh, in that game against UCLA. You and I sort of counted. I mean, Oregon at one point was 11 for 12 on third down. I mean, you know, it's hard to be 11 for 12 on third down when you're playing against air let alone against, you know, a Division One team. And the fact that he had that poise, for me, was, was really significant. He really grew in terms of accuracy, in terms of being able to throw the ball down the field with confidence, in terms of his ability to roll out and make plays, and also just in his overall poise and leadership. And so when you put all of that together, for me, Bo Nix is the number three quarterback in this conference. Wow. So Bo Nix, I love the pick. I had him a slot higher, and I'll break down why I did. Knicks, I think you you nailed a lot of great points on that, so I want to give you all the credit in the world on that. For me, Knicks, it was just the dual ability he possessed, and he was a package quarterback where he's going to get you down the field, and he's going to punch it in in the red zone, either throwing it or running. He's going to do either one. 14 touchdowns on the ground, yes, last year. 5.7 5.7 yards a carry. You know, he threw less than Penix because Penix, for all of his strengths, is just a pocket passer at the end of the day. So I do want to say that with Bo Nix. And there was two stats that I thought that really put him over the top as part of being a, the dual threat of the group. You know, uh, Bo Nix on 20-plus yard throws last year led the FBS in accuracy. He was number one. And I had to fight between these two guys. You know, who's fighting for second? We know who's going to be number one eventually. But, you know, who's fighting for second? Bo Nix is the guy, in my opinion. He was the number one in 20-plus yard throws on accuracy. And he was the he had the highest quarterback rating on play action of any quarterback in the FBS. To me, those stats kind of gave him the ultimatum. And if a play breaks down, I know this guy can scramble away and make something of it. The last time we saw him play, you know, he led a game-winning touchdown drive against North Carolina and Drake May, which actually turned out to be one of the better bowl games we saw last year. And he stayed in and fought. And I know he did lose to Michael Penix and Washington in that game. But I, I, he wasn't fully healthy. I would have liked to have seen a full, fully healthy Knicks. This guy was the Heisman front runner, you know, going into the month of November, I think, in a lot of ways. So I think if he stays healthy and just kind of follows the course, there's a real chance we're not even talking about Caleb Williams with the Heisman, but Bo Nix. And the game that you referenced with UCLA, that may have been the most perfect performance I think I've ever seen. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions, incompleted five passes all day on a rainy day in Outson. I mean, this was 
far from perfect conditions. And you knew every time there was a big time situation, you know, with a third down, a fourth down situation, he was going to complete a pass and make it happen. He's got his top three receivers coming back next year. He's got his top two rushers coming back next year. I'm a little bit worried about Dillingham leaving to Arizona State as this was, you know, I think far and away, uh, you know, his best season of college football. Just ask any Auburn fan out there how they feel about Bo Nix with Will Stein coming in, being the new offense coordinator. I am a little bit worried and concerned how that's going to look, especially if they kind of change up a little bit of what made him great last year. But, I mean, just the 43 total touchdowns, the, the rushing power, the 5.7 yards of carry, I had to give it to Knicks, man. Uh, so that was my number two. Now let's hear why Michael Penix is your number two, my man. So, Thriller, you know, it, it's such a great point. And I think the way I think about Knicks and Penix is – they both have a weakness, okay? And But how do you mitigate the weakness? That's how I think about it. And I'm not going to, you know, it's both of their stats are outrageous. I'm not even going to sort of take the head-to-head into consideration. It's really more about that element of Knicks has a weakness, Penix has a weakness. Which weakness can you minimize? And to me, Bo Nix's weakness will is still, I actually credit, I think the Bruins should take credit for all of the late season losses that Oregon had. I think everyone watched the UCLA defense and sort of understood this is what not to do. Because if you look at the end of the season, Will, you look at the Washington game with Oregon. You look at the Utah game with Oregon. You look at the Civil War with Oregon. The one consistent element there Utah Utah played seven in the box, eight in the box the whole game. Oregon State went eight in the box in the fourth quarter of that game. And Washington went eight in the box in all of the critical moments in that game. And they all came out on top. And so to me, the weakness with Penix is if you stack the box and you take away the run and you take away the RPO game and you know he's going to have to drop back and throw, can he still deliver? And I think that's the one missing piece. Even in that perfect game against UCLA, and it was, and your commentary was stellar, it was still off of play action. He found guys in single coverage. When I know the throw is coming, can he make the throw? And I think there's still a question there. With Penix, you alluded to it brilliantly, Will. It is the mobility, right? And so if I, if I bring pressure from all sides, he's not going to be able to evade the pressure the way a Knicks can, the way one other guy can that we'll sort of talk about later, and and that's sort of his limitation. But two things there. One is I think Penix is a much better athlete than people give him credit for, as evidenced by that Apple Cup game where he actually caught a 50-yard touchdown on on the wide receiver throwback. Like, you got to be athletic to be able to do that. And your coach has to sort of believe that you're an athlete. So I think Penix has more athleticism that he's letting on, and I think we're going to see a little bit of that. But to me, the other piece, Will, is just the release. I mean, Penix's arm talent is outrageous. And, and when you look at just pure arm talent, he's number one, okay? He's better than the number one guy in terms of pure arm talent. When you look at arm strength, when you look at release, when you look at velocity, when you look at arm angles and how the ball comes out and where it can be placed, he is absolutely elite. And, and when you look at the fact that it was a – a throw to Arizona State where, you know, he finished the throw off the guy's helmet. It popped up and it was a pick six. You take that away, Will, 
Washington's a 12 and one football team that's arguably going to the college football playoff last year itself. And so Penix is really close knocking on the door. And I think just the arm talent that that can sort of avoid the pass rush, because when you can get the ball out that quickly and when you've got that dynamite and arm with such a flick of the wrist, you know, he's kind of the left handed Aaron Rodgers in a lot of ways where it doesn't take a lot. And I'm not comparing him to a four-time MVP, but all I'm saying is it does not take a lot in terms of wind-up to get the ball really far. And that's what makes Rodgers so special. Like, Rodgers is going to hold the ball here, and just with a flick of the wrist, it goes 40. And Penix is kind of similar. Like, he doesn't need the big wind-up. Like the thing that killed Tim Tebow right in the pros was that wind-up was so long. Penix has just got a lightning wind-up that overcomes, I think, the pass rush. And I think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. So when I was looking at minimizing the weaknesses, I just thought there was a clearer path to minimize the weakness for Michael Penix. No, and I, I agree with all the points that you made. I mean, this is – I mean, splitting hairs, man. Sure. I love both of these guys. I want them to know if they're watching Penix and Bo Nix. Oh, yeah. Like, you're choosing between, like, two pieces of caviar. Like, they're both amazing. Penix, I think – it just came down for Bo Nix – if you were scouting him as a baseball prospect, right, the tools, the tools in the toolbox, I think Bo Nix's mobility and just 14 touchdowns on the ground last year and just what he was able to use, he's kind. Of, he was kind of like a Tim Tebow in a lot of ways for what they did, that goal line package. You knew it was coming. You couldn't stop it. Average close to six yards of carry on the ground, just a special, special talent. And you throw in those stats, I mean, the, the accuracy on the 20-plus yard throws downfield, the – you know, the play action stuff. I mean, it's really, really close. But I just want to say this. Kalen DeBoer matched with Michael Penix is a match made in heaven. And coaching in specifically to football is – you have to have a great pairing. You know, I don't even know if we get this version of Patrick Mahomes without the likes of an Andy Reid being there. You know, I think coaching is such a big part of what develops these quarterbacks and what they could potentially be. Penix Jr., with the DeBoer is beautiful. And you look at the pass game, they threw the eighth most times in the, all of college football last year. And they've got McMillan and Odunzi coming back next year, Crazy. which are going to be beast receivers, you know, on the outside. So I'm really looking forward to what those two guys have. I had Penix Jr. three, I had Knicks two. You had the opposite of that. I guess, you know, this is the Bruin Bible, but we do have to talk about the guy across town in South Central and Caleb Williams. He is phenomenal for everything we saw. And, you you know, it's easy to forget just how special of a year this guy had. 42 touchdowns, five interceptions. And the stat that really came to mind for me, Madman, was just what this guy has been able to do under pressure. I know you made the comparison to Steph Curry. I think a lot of draft analysts are trying to compare Bryce Young to that. I think Caleb Williams is a way better, you know, a bigger, stronger, faster version of Bryce Young coming out next year. He'd be my version of Steph Curry at the quarterback position moving forward. But just the numbers under pressure since 2021, 22 touchdowns. That's the second most in all of college football over that span. Two interceptions, 109 passer rating, and 16 big-time throws. You're at your best. Pressure makes diamonds, right? And Caleb Williams did that in spades for USC last year. Whether it was the, the throw he made to Jordan Addison to win at Oregon State whether it was the ridiculous play he made against Notre Dame where he made six guys miss tackle in the open field, whether it was just week after week what this guy did. I mean, the deep ball to Addison against Stanford was just a thing of beauty when a lot of people 
we're questioning this guy's arm strength. I, Caleb Williams, he doesn't have as, as strong as an arm as Knicks or Penix, but he's also 20 years old. He could still develop that guy a little bit more. So Caleb Williams is number one. Give me, in your opinion, just what Caleb Williams, you know, is going to look like in 2023 after a historic year he had for USC last year. First of all, Will, I'm stunned that you picked Caleb Williams. I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> this, was a, this was sort of a foregone conclusion uh, here. I mean, not only is he the best quarterback in the Pac-12, not only is he the best player in the Pac-12, he's the best player in college football, and he's the, the face of the sport uh, going into 2023. So this was, you know, a no-brainer for both of us, obviously. Will, I think you said it best. His magic was his ability to extend plays. And, you know, I mean, there were probably eight to 12 times a game where defenses thought they had him and they had him corralled. And he found a way to not only elude the rush, but extend the play. You know, that's that next order reasoning there, because usually when guys are facing a rush and they elude it, the heart rate is so elevated and they're so on overload where they just take off and want to make a play. The fact that he can evade the rush in this frenetic fashion, bring the heart rate down, and then just sort of survey the field and sort of roll out to buy more time to make a huge play. There's nobody like him in the sport today, and that's where all kind of the Mahomesian comparisons came in because Pat Mahomes sort of does that so beautifully with his Mahomes magic. And so I think for me, the next step for him, Will, moving forward is how does he start playing the game the way it needs to be played at the NFL level. And I think that there were times, and now we're sort of trying to find, you know, little blemishes on Miss America here, you know, when we're sort of dissecting his game. But I did feel like there were times where he maybe was dancing around a little bit too much in the pocket and he was extending the plays a little bit too much. And there were check downs. There were sort of open guys in the slot. There was an opportunity to maybe run and slide for six or seven yards. And, and you know, he was a little bit greedy, a little bit too often sometimes in games. And then I think there is an opportunity, and you alluded to a 20 years old. I think there's still growth there. I think the down-the-field accuracy, Will, there, there's an opportunity there. There were some balls that sailed to the sideline. There were some balls that kind of hit the dirt. So I think those are the two areas – where if I'm Caleb Williams, I'm really honing in on for 2023 to just be absolutely bulletproof in my game moving forward. And I think I actually love the situation that he is in going into 2023, Will, because we've seen this now a few times. We've seen a couple of iterations of a Heisman winner coming back. And we saw it all the way back, whether it was Jason White at Oklahoma to Matt Leinart at USC to Tebow to Johnny Manziel, to Lamar Jackson, and on and on the list we can go of guys that came back. Bryce and Young. Was, uh, yes, exactly. And, and Bryce Young. And, and there was a little bit of complacency that second year. You know, you felt like you were kind of defending the Heisman Trophy. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of guys coming at you. And none of those guys quite had the same year, the year after their Heisman year. I think for me – a combination of two things. One is the way the USC season ended in such heartbreak, both to Utah as well as to Tulane. I can't believe I'm still saying this sentence that they lost to Tulane uh, in the bowl game in, in just catastrophic fashion, much to the delight of, of Bruin Nation everywhere, um, A. But then B, I think 
this exact show, Will, the purpose of this show of showing how deep this quarterback position is, and he's got two guys in particular in Nixon Penix Jr. that are nipping at his heels to take that top spot from him. And I could very easily make the argument that the fourth guy in DJU at Oregon State could have one of the two spots in the Pac-12 championship game, given, given what's going on over there. And so I think all of those factors is going to make him lock in even more. And I think put together an incredible Heisman Trophy defense season in a way that we haven't seen before. So I think there's a huge opportunity here for Caleb Williams. I think the USC schedule is significantly tougher than it was last year. So we're going to get this Caleb Penix, you know, Caleb DJU, Caleb Bow type of situation over the course of the year. And it's going to be settled on the field. And the great competitors, you know, it's like, you and I, Will, we're basketball guys at heart. And, you know, you got to quote the last dance when when Jordan, you know, one of his memorable quotes where he said, listen, for the 92 finals, he said, look, you know, I'm not saying Clyde wasn't a threat. OK, Clyde was a great player. I'm not saying Clyde wasn't a threat. But when they compared him to me, yeah, I took it as disrespect. And let's see if there's a disrespect element here with Caleb Williams where he's like, well, you know, Penix Jr., I'm not saying he's not a threat. I'm not saying Bo Nix is not a threat, but to compare him to me, I looked at it as, as disrespect. So I think the stage is set for a very epic 23 for Caleb Williams. Cream rises to the top, as you're saying, my man, madman. And this was just a fun episode, man. Top five quarterbacks from the Pac-12. We didn't even get to Cameron Ward, who I think is a very phenomenal talent at Washington State. He's a guy that we can't sleep on, you know, in the Pac-12. Led them to a bowl game this year. Did some great things. But, you know, to wrap up, you know, I think this was a very fun exercise for UCLA fans moving forward. Uh, Bruin Bible, we're going to be trying to do more position breakdowns. You guys like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Always comment what you guys are looking for when it comes to the Bruin Bible. We're trying to give you guys the best content possible when it comes to the LA Football Network and everything we can do. Any parting thoughts, Madman, before we sign off on this beautiful episode of the Bible? Thriller, what a fun episode. Always such a pleasure to do it with you. You're, you're the most creative person that's covering UCLA, and everyone needs to sort of like and subscribe to this show. And I'll leave with this parting thought, Will. You know, we, we sort of talked about all of the great players. How depressed do you have to be if you're a fan of Cal or Stanford? I mean, oh, going into 23 yeah. without one of these quarterbacks. I mean, are any of those teams going to win a game potentially? I mean, it, it's really going to be very interesting what those two teams need to go do in the transfer portal. And maybe one of these quarterbacks from UCLA that maybe don't make the cut here were very deep. Do they look at a Cal? Do they look at a Stanford? Do others you know, kind of think of the same because there's two more spots still available in the Pac-12 to go and start. So I'm actually kind of interested to see what the last two teams do here because otherwise it is going to be tough sledding in 2023. Yeah, and the fact that we're going to be owing Cal about three to four million for every win they get <laughs> next year, which is not going to be a lot of wins, is just going to make it, you know, bittersweet. But we're just going to be happy for the fact their football program is now in the garbage. Madman, Bruin Bible, we are officially done. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube like I previously mentioned. And keep an eye out for the Wayne Cook quarterback episode we got coming up later this week. Bruin Bible, we are